0: This Choircast Podcast episode is brought to you by me. Hi, I'm Tim, the creator and facilitator of the New Evangelicals and host of the New Evangelicals Podcast, Original I Know. We are a Jesus-centered and inclusive community that holds space for the folks marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and we help people like you leave that cold, dark, and damp basement of evangelical fundamentalism behind to explore the rooms of the Christian tradition together. You can check out our podcast to hear from all kinds of amazing guests who are way smarter than me, and even a few episodes where I get to rant to our podcast producer about how dangerous Christian nationalism is. Ah, good times. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts or slide into our DMs on Instagram at The New Evangelicals. Thanks! Hey, my name is Brandon Dragan. I'm the author of the novel, The Wages of Grace. And if you only listen to one podcast today, be sure to listen to Second Cup with Keith. It is good to the last drop. Hello, and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. In this episode, I would like to address something that. May not be very controversial to most people, but it is something that I believe is one of these misconceptions that Christians sort of accept. It's something that is taught and believed, and it just seems to be widely accepted in most Christian circles, but it isn't necessarily based on real, actual scriptural support. And so what I'm talking about is this thing called the fivefold ministry. So, now depending on which sort of stream or flavor of Christianity you may be currently involved with or have grown up in, you may or may not be very acquainted with this idea of the fivefold ministry. For myself, Growing up in the Southern Baptist Church and then being licensed and ordained as Southern Baptist pastor and minister, and then serving also in vineyard churches in Southern California in various capacities, this idea of the fivefold ministry was something that was pretty often referred to. And so let me first explain what the fivefold ministry is. Then I want to talk about why I don't buy it. I really don't think that this something called the fivefold ministry, as it is taught, really exists or should be used as some sort of a standard in our churches today. So first of all let's answer the question what is the fivefold ministry? Well the fivefold ministry again in certain christian circles is this concept that's found in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13 and essentially we'll read this in a second but I'm just going to explain where where it comes from and what it is. It's this concept that in Ephesians the apostle Paul outlined these sort of five offices or these five sort of leadership positions or giftings, however you want to phrase it, that are quote-unquote essential for the health and growth of every Christian church everywhere in the world. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of reject the concept, because the things that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, as we're going to read in a second, they're good concepts. But the problem I have is with the application of it. In other words, these handful of verses in Ephesians are then taken and used as the template and the standard for every church that's ever going to be planted or ever going to be considered a real church from here till you know the end of time. And I think that applying the standard in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 is not a good idea. And I'm going to explain why. First, let's go in and read it, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, of course, this is where the fivefold ministry comes from. We notice that here in this passage that we just read, Paul lists five offices or giftings, however you want to think of it or phrase it. They are listed in this order apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And for those who swear by this sort of fivefold ministry template or model, for them, this list represents both a hierarchy of gifting, and an essential list of giftings or offices that must be present in every church for, again, health and growth of the church. So when I say hierarchy, that I mean that they understand that list here in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, to be a hierarchy of authority. So in other words, apostles are listed first, so they must be the most important. They have seniority, and they have seniority over everybody on the list below that. So prophets would be next, Then prophets have authority over evangelists and then pastors and then teachers. So at the bottom of that list, if you want to think of the pyramid the other direction, at the bottom would be the teachers and then the pastors, and these are subordinate to evangelists, prophets, and apostles. So one of the main reasons that I reject that list is number one, I don't think that it's hierarchical. I don't think that Paul's list is intended to be understood as a hierarchy of authority. And this really comes from the misunderstanding that we've adopted in, in our Christian churches today, the idea that if you're a pastor or a teacher, for example, and you teach something to a group of people, let's say a congregation, that by virtue of you teaching the gospel or the word of God to someone, you therefore have authority over that person. That's, by the way, nowhere found in the scriptures. The scriptures never equate the ability to teach with authority over another person. There are several reasons why people have this misunderstanding. Usually, again, a misapplication or misunderstanding of of certain verses in the New Testament. But we should never equate teaching someone with authority over that person. In fact, none of us should ever have authority over anybody. What Paul affirms for us in the New Testament, and when he speaks to churches, what he says is that We should all submit to one another. And so if we're all in mutual submission to one another, then no one has any sort of power over or authority over anyone else. That's just the way it has to work. And so we never demand that other people submit to us. That's not what's meant when Paul says we all submit to one another in love. So submission is something that we willingly grant to one another in love and and respect and mutual respect for one another. It's not something we ever demand that other people give to us. In other words, I only submit to you as you submit to me. It's not a one-way street. This is a two-way street. Everybody is at the same level, and no one has any authority over anyone else. And so let me just briefly address also the mistaken assumption of hierarchy in this list. So because Paul says that Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we assume, okay, that must have some level of authority. Now, I disagree. I think what that is is a list not of levels of authority— but a chronological list of in what order these gifts were given to the church. So we can think of it this way. First, Christ was given, right? Christ himself is the first in that list. And then Christ sent apostles. Apostles, by the way, just means sent ones. And it's the apostles we know from early church history in the book of Acts. It's the apostles who then from, are sent out from Jesus to go and preach the gospel and plant churches in various places. Once those churches were established, within those churches, some people received gifts of prophecy. We see this in First Corinthians when Paul even encourages people in the church in Corinth to eagerly seek the gift of prophecy. So prophets then sort of rise up next within the local church. And then evangelists, people who have the gifting of evangelism, they're also sent out in their local area, in their community, to continue to preach the gospel so that more people are added daily to the church and the body of Christ in that local area. And then within those local bodies or expressions of the of the body of Christ in those local areas, there are pluralities of pastors. That's a plural there, not pastor, singular. We think of a senior pastor, but there is no senior pastor listed anywhere in the New Testament. None of the letters of Paul are addressed to the pastor of the church in Corinth, or the pastor of the church in Thessalonica, or the pastor of the church in Philippi. No, they're addressed to the entire church body collectively, because, as Paul tells us in first Corinthians twelve we are all a shared body, and only Christ is our head, not any one of us is the head. Jesus affirmed this as well twice to his disciples when he said, "You know he pointed first to the religious authorities of the Pharisees, and he says, "Notice how they lord it over others, and he says, "Not so with you, and in another place, he points to a secular hierarchy to the Romans. And he says, notice how the Romans lord it over others. And then he says again to his disciples, but it should not be so with you, for you are all brothers. In other words, we are all equal. And he says, you have one father, that's God. You have one teacher, that's Christ or the spirit of Christ. And so none of you should be the one standing up and saying, I'm the teacher or I'm the pastor or I'm the boss, because we all, again, mutually submit to one another in love and only Christ is our head. We all mutually submit to Christ, and Christ in us is then allowed, through this mutual submission, to teach, or pastor, or serve, again, in humility. It's not power over, it's not authority over, if anything, it's power under, or or alongside, that we come alongside one another. And so again, I, I see this as not a hierarchical list, but as a chronological list. First were apostles, then prophets, then evangelists, then pastors, then teachers, and again, no authority is to be assumed there. But one of the major reasons I reject this fivefold concept is simply this. Paul gave us two other lists in two other epistles that he wrote to two other churches in two different places. And so all told, Paul gave us three different lists, or if you want to say, you know, different offices or different giftings. When he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he gave us the fivefold model. But when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he gave us another list, and then when he wrote to the church in Rome, he gave a different list. And so that is the reason why I reject this idea that we can only take direction from what Paul told the church in Ephesus. Why would we do that? Why would we only just realize that there's three lists given by Paul to three different churches in three different places, and then arbitrarily choose the list in the letter to the ephesians as the one and only one that we're going to take why why would we do that well i have a theory <laughs> i think it's because if you look at all three of those different lists the one given to the church in ephesus which we just read is the only one that includes the term pastors and personally i think that's the reason why the church or certain church groups have decided that the fivefold ministry which is listed in Right here in Ephesians chapter 4 is the one we should choose because it mentions pastors. Because the word, that, that term pastors, by the way, is only mentioned once in the entire New Testament and it's right there. There are no references to pastors anywhere else. And so I, that's my theory. That's why I think so. But anyway, let's go and look at these other different lists that are given by Paul in other letters, okay? So there's what's called the eightfold ministry, whereas I'm calling it that because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 28, Paul gives us an eightfold list, and he says this, And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So, even though Paul starts out the same with his list in this letter to the Corinthians, the same in the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the Ephesians, he starts off the same, right? He starts off with apostles and prophets, but then he jumps over to teachers. So, teachers just got a promotion. <laughs> in the church in Corinth, they're promoted to third place, up from, by the way, last place in the Ephesians list. So, way to go, teachers. But then he, he introduces after teachers, workers of miracles, people who have gifts of healing, people who have gifts of help, people who have gifts of wisdom or guidance, and those who speak in tongues. And so, this is a list of eight different gifts or offices, if you want to call them that. And so, I, this is what we would call the eightfold ministry. And so, he adds three more to the list. And he takes pastors out of the list. So, wow. Here's the thing. Understand, let's say that we never had the letter to the Ephesians. What if it was never found, right? And we only had Corinthians and Romans, which is the one we're going to look at in a minute. Well, then we would conclude, well, this must be the list. This is what the apostle Paul is telling us that every church has to have. Every church has to have apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, people who do healing, people who are helpers, people who provide wisdom and guidance, and people who speak in tongues. And that's what you have to have if you want to grow or plant a church. Or let's say, let's go back in time. Let's just say, what if we lived in Corinth and we didn't live in Ephesus? And then Paul's letter arrives one day by special delivery, and someone stands up in our church, you know, on a Sunday morning and reads to us this letter from the apostle Paul. And when he gets to this part, what would we think? We would say, oh, okay, write that down. There are eight things that the church must have. Because Paul, the apostle Paul, just told us, those of us here in the church in Corinth, these are the eight gifts or offices that you must have. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. There you go. Now let's say we take a trip next month. We embark on a trip to go visit our our family and our friends in Ephesus. And when we get there, they go, oh, we got this letter from Paul and it explained, you know, the important offices that we must have. And we're like, oh, we got one too. Yeah. And the, our friends in Ephesus are convinced that it's these five gifts. And we go, oh, no, 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 You're missing a couple. And you, actually, you got a couple in there that, that are, are wrong. These are the right ones. Right. And we tell them our eightfold list. So you see the confusion this would have created. And by the way, what's interesting is that the early Christians didn't do this. They didn't argue over this. It didn't create this confusion. So they were doing something different with this list than what we're doing. Um, We've made it into a law and a rule. And they, we know from church history, they didn't make it a rule and a law. They understood that these lists were loose. They weren't meant to be binding. They were general listings of, of the kinds of giftings that Christ allows to flourish within a church body for the growth and the health of that church. Neither one of these two lists we've looked at, neither one of them are intended to be absolute and definite and closed, but a hard period on the end, only these. No, not at all. So again, if you were ignorant of the other lists, you would conclude that, well, God's plan must be whatever is in the letter that we received. And so, you know, if you lived in Corinth and you had this list, you might conclude from your list that pastors and evangelists are lower class citizens in the church and, and well, that not even mentioned at all. So you have a gift of evangelism, or you have you're someone who serves in the church as a pastoral role, caring for the health and spiritual growth and development of other people in the church. Well, that's great, but hey, according to what Paul said to us in Corinth, not such a big deal. Should we make that assumption? Well, of course not, right? This is not the way we should treat these kinds of passages. Let's go on and read the third list that was given. This one was when again Paul wrote to the church in Rome. This is the sevenfold ministry and so now if you live in rome and you got a letter from paul this week this is what it would have said and this is what you would have taken away so romans chapter 12 this is verses 4 through 8 paul says this for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I got to say personally, out of these three lists, if I got to choose one, I'm probably going to choose this one because the sevenfold ministry of God drops leadership to the bottom. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is probably the reason why nobody is out there writing books or teaching leadership classes on the sevenfold ministry of God as given to us by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, because leadership is at the bottom of that list, just ahead of showing mercy. And it puts service, teaching, and encouragement at the very top of the list. I love that. But again, if you were a Christian in Rome around the first century, you would have heard this letter read from the Apostle Paul to you, and you could have then easily said, okay, we got it, everybody. This is it. Apostles, evangelists, and pastors are not as important as people who have the gift of prophecy, or service, or teaching, or encouragement, or giving, or leadership, or mercy. And so we might do that. We might say, oh, well, okay, Paul told us, the church in Rome, that these are the important things, the sevenfold list. But again, early Christians didn't do this. There is no evidence that churches in Ephesus or Rome or Corinth argued about which list was right. And the main thing I believe we can learn from all of this is that Jesus was serious when he said that we are all brothers and sisters, and that none of us is meant to be the father or the teacher or the ruler over anybody else. That's in Matthew 23, verse 9, if you want to look it up. The goal in the body of Christ is that we are all members of one another, as Paul says here in this passage we just read, so that no one person is given preeminence or authority over anybody else. So having said all that, let me just say, let me just clarify a few things. Yes, I do believe that there probably are still today people who are sent by the Holy Spirit. We may or may not call those apostles. Because of course, of course that term apostle has taken on a connotation of somebody who has this authority and prominence, right? And a lot of times people are eager to take that term apostle upon themselves. In fact, I, I think probably almost anybody today who is walking around calling themselves apostle Joe or apostle Steve or whoever they gave themselves that title. <laughs> I really doubt anybody else said, you know what? I think you might be an apostle. But nevertheless. Yes, certain people are called and are gifted to go out and and do the things that apostles did, like proclaim the gospel, plant a church, start a gathering in their house or their community, recognize the gifts of others within that body of believers. And then, here's what apostles did, move on when they're needed to go and plant gatherings like that in other places. See, that's what apostles really do. They don't stay in the same place and preach in the same church all the time the apostle Paul and the other apostles, they had a very itinerant kind of a ministry. They would go to a certain place, gather believers or preach the gospel and help people come to know who Christ is, right? And get those people together and help them get something going, get a gathering going, a church being established in a certain place. They might stay around long enough, a few months, maybe even a year. I think Paul stayed a year in a couple of places. But after that, he moved on and he let them kind of run the show without his help as they are led by the holy spirit i also affirm that all those giftings that are listed in, in all those different you know scriptures that we read i do believe people have gifts of prophecy i've i've experienced that myself people have had words of knowledge for me and i myself have spoken in tongues and pray in tongues i'll tell you that story one of these days how that came about because it's not something i expected and definitely people have gifts of teaching and people absolutely have gifts of compassion and mercy and gifts of giving and hospitality and all those other things that were listed by Paul in these three different lists that we just read. But what I reject, and this is the whole reason I'm making this podcast, what I reject is the idea that there are only five main gifts in the church today, this fivefold ministry, and that only these five should be emphasized and exalted above all those other gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul as if they're more special, or more necessary, or more important. I want to just call us back to this idea of really the thing that Paul emphasizes more than anything else in the New Testament, and that's these 58 one-anothers. There are 58 one-another statements in the New Testament. Way more than five. (laughs) The message that we should pick up from these 58 one-anothers is this. You Matter, you are essential to the body of Christ, whatever your gift is, it's necessary, and it's very important and Paul is very clear about this in First Corinthians chapter twelve, where he goes through these different this idea of the of what it even means to be the body of Christ. number one, Christ is the head, not any one of us. Secondly, every one of us is submitted to Christ first of all, and then we are submitted to one another in love to use our God given, Holy Spirit given giftings, whatever that happens to be, to build up everybody else in the church. In fact, if we go all the way back up to the fivefold ministry that's listed in Ephesians, what we'll notice is that those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are not the ones who are supposed to be doing all of the work. No, no, no. <laughs> But what it actually says is that Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip his people, that's the rest of us, that's everybody else, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and we can all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature and attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so, again, it's a very communal idea. It's not just these five people who are doing all the work. If they are doing anything at all, they are building up and equipping and empowering everybody else in the body so that everybody else in the body can practice these 58 one another's in ministry to each other. So it's not a spectator sport. There is no bench. It's not like the rest of us are sitting back on the pew And watching all these other people, these other five giftings do all the work and all the quote unquote ministry. No, no, no. Even if you're going to hold on tight to Ephesians' fivefold ministry model, understand that that fivefold ministry model in Ephesians says that what those five people are doing is using their gifts to equip the rest of us for ministry. We're the ones who are supposed to be doing that work and that ministry, ministering and serving to one another in the body of Christ. And so, that's a very important distinction. We need one another. Your gift is necessary to me, and my gift is necessary to everyone else. And so none of us is more important than anyone. So as Paul says, as we, as we take all of these passages together, what we see in all of his writings is that there are many gifts, and they're all given by the same Spirit, and that we are all members of one another. Whatever gifting your is, it's not for you they're not about you. It's about how you use those giftings to lift up, build up, strengthen, encourage, and bless everyone else in the body of Christ. And that gifting and the use of that gifting isn't intended to exalt you and to make you more important at all. In fact, if you're doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. It's for the good of others. And so what we see in in all of the New Testament scriptures is that there's something like 28 different spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. There are 58 one another's and I think that is much more important than only emphasizing the fivefold or the sevenfold or the eightfold. That's the wrong way to approach it. What we need to do is approach this idea that everyone matters, everyone belongs. Everyone has something to contribute. Christ is dwelling in each of us, in all of us. And what we're called to do is share what of Christ we know and what of Christ we have experienced and what of Christ we have received with one another. That's how we practice those 58 one another's. By using one of those 28 different spiritual gifts that the Spirit has given. Maybe there's more than 28, but we have at least 28 gifts listed in the New Testament by name specifically. And so it's very important then that we understand then what is my gifting and what is my my role, my position, my, what is it I contribute to bless everybody else in the body of Christ? Because once you know that, now you know your place. Now you know what it is that you contribute. As Paul uses this metaphor in 1 Corinthians 12 of a body, right? Of of all these different organs in the body. And listen, if my kidneys stopped working, I would know about it. My whole body would know that my kidney had stopped working if my liver suddenly was removed oh my gosh my whole body would know or if one of my lungs you know collapsed my whole body would wouldn't be aware of that and that's why paul uses that metaphor because he wants us to get the idea that we all depend on one another we all need one another and that does mean that none of us is disposable none of us is superfluous every one of us has a purpose has something to contribute of meaning and worth and value to everybody else in the body of Christ. And I just tell people this a lot and take this as you like. But if you're involved in a church that doesn't value you that way, that doesn't see you as somebody who is essential and necessary and important, not just, I mean, in the sense of giving you a job to do, that's very, very different. I think there is a very big difference between empowering someone in the body of Christ And exploiting somebody. And let me tell you, you know the difference, don't you? You know if your church is merely exploiting you because you have a certain gift or talent and they're just going to drain you dry, take advantage of you and your gifting or your willingness to show up every time the doors are open or work late or, or all that kind of stuff without compensation or without any sort of anybody calling out the fact, you know, just even recognizing that this is what you're doing. That's being exploited. And we are not called, this is not what Paul is talking about in any of these passages. He's not talking about the church exploiting people for their own growth and gain. That's not it. So it's not about exploitation, but it is about empowerment. You know whether or not you are part of a body of believers, a healthy, loving congregation of people who empower you, who believe in you who help you figure out what your giftings are, who help you discover what your calling is, uh, what your passions are, the things that you feel called to do in the kingdom. And then they do everything in their power to help you succeed in that and encourage you to be everything that you can be and are called to be as a member of the body of Christ. That is empowerment. And if you are not a part of a church that's empowering you to do that, be that, completely fulfill your being your identity and your calling as a vibrant necessary beloved contributor of a member of the body of Christ you might want to consider finding a church that does again we're not called to be exploited we're not called to be used i really just i've never liked that phrase of even this idea that god uses people god, let me just tell you god doesn't use people god is not a user he doesn't use us Now, he collaborates with us, absolutely. The Spirit of God invites us to, first of all, look and see what it is that God is doing already. The Spirit of God is always moving. It's always at work. So first we have to stop and see, well, what is it that God is doing? And then to say, well, what is the role that I could play in assisting that? It's not the idea of, oh, God needs my help. God is already doing things. God's heart has already been expressed that certain things would be accomplished. We can first take time to recognize what those things are. And then say, okay, what role can I play? How can I help? How can I collaborate with what the Spirit of God is already doing in the lives of people around me, in my community, in ways that I can help accomplish those things that God wants to do? So again, we should get out of our mind this idea that God uses us. That is not what God does. And see, I think the more we embrace the idea that God does use us, then that allows us to excuse churches that use us too and that exploit us. So let's move away from the idea that God uses people. Let's let go of this idea that we should be exploited in some sense, because that is not what it's about. Let's think of it again as this way of like recognizing that there are these 58 one another's where we are encouraged to love one another, serve one another, submit to one another, bless one another, teach one another, and all these kinds of things. And and practice these 58 one another's in love where no one has authority over anybody else because we are all submitted to Christ. This is what Jesus describes. This is the way the early church operated for at least the first 300 years of church history before hierarchy did kind of creep in, where the bishop rule kind of took over. And people in these positions of apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, etc., whereas initially these are people who served without a title, that they did these things naturally, organically, because they loved their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and their congregations, they willingly, lovingly served these ways. Again, it even says in the New Testament that they served this way, these diakonos, the deacons, which just means servant, that they served without any kind of expectation of financial compensation or anything like that. And so, you know, again, for the first 200 years, this is the way the church operated. It was only much later, sadly, that some of these positions that had initially been seen as positions of humility and service and love for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ became offices and titles that people aspired to and then assumed authority over other people and demanded submission from their fellow brothers and sisters rather than enjoy a mutual submission where they also submitted to everybody else as well. Anyway, I hope this has been very helpful and I I hope this gives us a better idea of the way we should think about sort of Our personal role in the body of Christ and the way we should also then think about the way churches are, how they gather, how they function, and in what ways that are healthy and what ways that are unhealthy to begin practicing these kinds of things in the body of Christ. I hope that's helpful. I hope you've enjoyed this. Thank you again for listening to Second Cup with Keith. I really enjoy doing these episodes. I hope you enjoy it too. If you're not listening on the Ethos Radio app on your either iPhone or Android phone, please do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Go to your app store, look up the Ethos Radio app and download that because not only will you be able then to get automatic updates every time I have a new episode of Second Cup with Keith on the Ethos Radio app, you'll also get updates for my threads podcast, also available on the Ethos Radio app. That's where I have really exciting conversations with amazing people. Paul Young, Brad Jerzak, Brian Zahn, December Rose, and and more are on the way. I have conversations coming with Derek Webb, Jennifer Knapp, so many great things coming up on the Threads podcast. And Second Cup with Keith and Threads post on every other alternate Mondays. One Monday will be Second Cup with Keith, and the next Monday will be Threads, and the next Monday will be Second Cup with Keith, and the next Monday will be Threads. So there's always going to be something new coming from me on the Ethos Radio app. And you know what? There's other podcasts on the Ethos Radio app as well that you'll probably enjoy. There's also the Ethos Radio radio station, which has really cool music you can listen to on your phone as well. So check that out, download that. And there's a voice function there where you can leave me a voice memo and let me know what you think about the podcasts. Let me know if you have ideas, suggestions for upcoming episodes of Second Cup with Keith. Very interested in hearing feedback from everyone about that. I'll also say this. I have an event coming up in March in Nashville called Awaken 2022. I would love to see you there. This event is going to feature Jim Palmer, Derek Webb, myself, December Rose, Michelle Collins, Brandon Dragon, Todd Vick, True Tunes Magazine and Podcast just became a sponsor along with Choir Publishing, who is my publisher, we have some really, really great sessions in that event. This is for people who kind of want to know the answer to the question, is there life after religion? Once you've deconstructed your evangelical Christian faith, where do you go next? What does it look like? What does it look like to reconstruct your faith after that? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to get together. You're going to get to meet some amazing people. We're going to have an opportunity to really explore the answers to those questions at Awaken 2022, again, in Nashville, March 18th and 19th. If you would like to register for that, you can just Google it, actually. It's available on eventbrite.com, or you can go to my blog, keithgiles.com, and scroll down to the bottom of my most recent blog post, and you'll see information there and a link to register for a special rate, $99, that's been extended for people that want to register for that event. Well, I'd love to meet you there. I'd love to see you there. Thank you again so much for listening to Second Cup with Keith. We'll see you again next time.